Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. This might be one of the most important episodes you ever listen to. And while it might not help you as an individual, it is going to help our world and it is going to help women that so badly need you to listen. So sit back, get fucking ready, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my god. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. Have you gotten a chapter 6 yet? <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. You have probably been seeing some videos on TikTok and on social media about the situation that is going on in Iran. It is devastating, it is shocking, and a lot of people are very uneducated and don't know what is going on. Currently, there is what they are calling a revolution in Iran for women to finally get some rights. Um, If we think we are angry and frustrated about our right to choose being taken away from us, Wait until you hear what the women in Iran are dealing with. It is absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, I held back tears many times during this interview. Uh, I was in disbelief throughout the entire thing. Um, So really do me a favor because I know sometimes we don't want to get heavy or political or talk about these like really heavy and intense issues. If you love me and you love my show, please open your heart and listen and educate yourself to what is happening to these women. It is imperative that we start sharing their stories and raising their voices and doing whatever we can from afar. I reached out to an incredible woman named Elika Laban, and she agreed to come on and really dig into some of the shocking issues that have been going on for far, far too long. Um, So I urge you to really listen to this episode in its entirety. And at the end, we are going to talk about some of the things that we can do to take action to help some of these women. I want to make you aware of some trigger warnings in this episode. We talk about sexual assault. We talk about rape. We talk about abortion rights. We talk about death penalties. We talk about women's rights in general. And this entire episode is like one big trigger if you are a woman, but it's very drastically important. Here is Elika. Elika Laban, welcome to FML Talk. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I would love if you could give everybody a little bit of background on who you are and all mm-hmm. the amazing work that you do. 
Okay, so my name's Elika. Uh, I'm an attorney here in the US, a criminal defense attorney. I went to law school here. I was previously living in the UK. I was born and raised in London. My parents are from Iran. Um, so I guess ever since this revolution, which is what we're calling it now, has taken place, I have been um, involved, heavily invo involved in um, organizing as much as I can, orchestrating campaigns that I can in order to help um, in any way that I can with the situation that's going on in Iran. Obviously, it's my people, my land, my country, and, you know, um, specifically bringing visibility to Iran's death row, which is a harrowing, horrific, major human rights violation um, for crimes that are not even crimes. Um, so that's mostly what I've been working on. Yeah. I mean, just from following you on your social media platforms, the content that you've posted has been so heartbreaking yet educational um, and really brought a lot of, you know, eyes onto the subject. So I'm really glad that you're here to talk about it with my audience today. Um, and we're going to start with all of the recent stuff that has really started this revolution. So Masa Amini, as most people know by now, was a 22-year-old girl in Iran. So backstory is that obviously in Iran, since the um, Islamic Republic, which was established by revolution in 1979, <clears throat> enforces a strict dress code for women and girls. And the dress code is that you have to cover up basically completely um, you have to wear a headscarf, you can't show, you know, arms, legs, you know, your knees, you can't wear ripped jeans. So um, obviously this young girl, Masa Amini, she had a little bit of her hair showing and she was arrested by the morality police, which is uh, we call Basij, Basiji. So the morality police detained her, the mor morality police are responsible for enforcing the dress code. So they detain her and they take her to the station. And then you have these spectators, these onlookers who are hearing that, you know, Massa is screaming in this detention room and uh, they're banging on the door, you know, saying, let her go, let her go. Then she's like, all of a sudden she's taken to the hospital. She has blunt force trauma to the head and then she dies. The authorities released a statement saying that she had a heart condition, which is what they always say after somebody dies in custody, either that they had a heart condition or that they fell from a great height, if they know that blunt force trauma is going to be in the autopsy. So that was the same story that they shared in Massa Amini's case. They also said that they didn't have body-worn cameras, but Massa Amini's cousin, who was with her, said that she was told to get out of the shot because she was in the eyesight of the body-worn cameras. Um, so they knew it, they, they were working, but they obviously you know, deleted them. And so that's how these protests, which have turned into a revolution, erupted in Iran, because this is what they've been doing to our women and girls for the past 43 years. And, you know, I like to use the comparison of um, George Floyd here in the US. We know that George Floyd wasn't an isolated incident. We know that whatever has been happening with Black Lives Matter and all of the killings by the police 
predate George Floyd for decades. And it's the same kind of thing here. Masa Amini was like the final stick that broke the camel's back. Yeah, People had been executed for so long that it was just like, we're done. And when this happens, it's it's not something that you're allowed to do. Like they cover it up and it's done more in secret, correct? I think to themselves, they have no problem doing it. It's more that they don't want to be held accountable by the rest of the world. So they don't want Amnesty International, the UN Human Rights Council, and all of these uh, international organizations involved because then they might place sanctions on Iran and that's money that goes straight into their pockets. So Mm. that's really what they're covering up. And can you explain a little bit like why the hijab is supposed to be worn and why the the laws were originally put in place that women need to cover everything so drastically? Well, what's interesting is that it's really just a form of extremism that doesn't actually have roots in Islam. As far as I'm aware, there is no mandatory imposition under the Quran there is some, you know, it alludes to to modesty, but there's no mandatory imposition. So this is really just a form of radicalism. I mean, we see radicalism everywhere, even in this country, you know, with women's rights, abortion rights, you know, you don't see anything in the Bible about abortion. And yet people, you know, this is probably getting very political, but you have, you know, extremists who take it to the nth degree and find ways to um, root those things in some religious context. It's the exact same thing. There is no mandatory imposition in Islam, but radicalists find ways to make it mandatory under what is known as Sharia law, which is the law that they have in Iran um, ever since the revolution. It's so wild to me and the, you know, having to cover up and wear the hijab is just the tip of the iceberg. When I started researching like the the women's rights or the lack thereof um, that women have in Iran, I was blown away. So I want to mm-hmm. go through some of those right now and have you kind of elaborate and touch on them um, and give your your thoughts on them. So the first was married women can't leave the country without their husband's permission. Yeah, correct. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, under these kind of laws, women are seen like chattel like the property of men you know because it is uh like an extreme patriarchy so women aren't perceived to really have any rights at all except out out of an outgrowth of you know attachment to the husband it's so crazy to me that they wouldn't have the freedom to just pick up and take a trip like even if it wasn't like leaving their husband like to just take their kids on a vacation like they're not allowed to do that without permission is unbelievable to me and I feel like I'm going to be a broken record with all of these because they're all unbelievable to me and the fact that we are living in 2022 and there are women on this planet that don't have just basic human decency rights is really heartbreaking um Women can't watch sports, even Mm -hmm. if their brothers, sons or husbands are playing. That's right. And actually, a couple of years ago, maybe it was like five years ago or something like that. There were these two women from they were like me. They were from the diaspora. Like, I don't know if they were from the UK um, or Americans that were originally from Iran. And they went to a sports game in Iran and they were sentenced to like five years in prison or something like that. For going to a sports game. Just for going to a sports game because women can't go and they can't watch sports games. And, uh, you know, obviously the treatment in 
prisons it's you know there's like no human human rights in iranian prisons so you know beating sexual assault torture rape all of that mm-hmm. just for going to a sports game and if let's say for example if they were to travel outside of iran and mm-hmm. you know go to america with their husbands or whatever and see a sports game here and mm-hmm. then travel home would the same rules apply no so it's only no. in iran it's just within their jurisdiction which is okay. pretty much the same way that law works everywhere you only can control actions that are within your right. jurisdiction yeah Oh my God. Okay. This one was particularly shocking to me. Um, marriage, the marriage age is 13 and mm-hmm. girls younger are allowed to marry if they have parental consent. Yep. Yeah. As young as nine. Who the fuck made that up? Like what? Everywhere Crazy is like, people. is like 16 with permission, 16 to get emancipated. 18 is technically an adult, 21 to drink, 18 to go to war. Where did 13 come into the picture? Because that's the I mean, technical first teen year. I I mean, these people are just crazy. There is no way to find any reason or sanity in what these people do, right? They are extremists, radicalists who have extreme radical views that literally just make no sense. And they just have absolutely no deference or care for women whatsoever. They're all men. Women aren't even allowed to have any positions in government. So how could any woman's right be represented when it's only men making these rules. And do you think that that comes from just like a misogynistic history? Like I I can't imagine a place where even the men, all the men occupying the government, like none of them think that this is wrong at all. Nobody has like a conscience that says like, maybe these women should have more rights. Like, where do you think that stems from? Um, I don't think they have a conscience personally. I think that they know they are immoral and corrupt and they have no, nothing, no morality. And what's interesting is that you see these uh, men who are part of these governments and you see their wives um, and girlfriends in America literally just naked on TikTok. I shit you not. Um, There was something that came up the other day on TikTok about this one particular guy. They had found him on Instagram and he had the whole, you know, link to the Islamic Republic government in his bio. Like he fully worked for the regime and his wife was like in her bikini on TikTok, like with her Birkin bag from all the blood money. And it's a it's an obvious double standard. So if you think like if you're fine with your wife dressing like that, clearly you don't care. Clearly right. you don't care how women dress. But these people make money from doing what they do. And I think that's really just what it comes down to. They have an establishment, they have a regime from which they can make money, money that they steal from Iran. And that's enough for them to be, to do what they do. And I, right. I don't think they care about anything other than that. But I mean, the whole, I mean, misogyny is baked into pretty much most organized religions, you know, because we're talking about something that's so old and uh, comes from a time when, you know, there was this general belief that woman just came out of a man's rib and really had no purpose on this earth other than to be a companion to man, right? Mm. So a lot of these, you know, when you consider the root of a lot of these religions, yeah, you're going to find a lot of misogyny baked into them. And then when you take the extreme version, then you just have insanity, right? Yeah, it's it's so incredibly shocking. And going back to the marriage at age 13, Mm -hmm. is, I mean, 
a 13 year old can't be like, I love this man. This is who I want to spend my life with. Is this set up by parents? Is this like, how are these arranged? A woman or a child, they don't really have much consent. They don't have much say. I mean, in America, we have consent laws, obviously. So if you're a child, you actually cannot consent. Even if you say, I love him and I, mm-hmm. I want to be with him, it's statutory rape. But in Iran, you know, a man could make an arrangement with another man to have the daughter wedded off at nine years old. And a woman, you know, mother really couldn't do anything about it because a woman's worth is half that of a man. Under. Is that is that for like an exchange for money or is it like, I just like this 13 year old girl. So I'm going to ask her father if I can have her. I really couldn't tell you. Ugh. I really couldn't tell you the reason why it's just sick. I mean, that's it, the it, I mean, it is, it's what, it's what pedophiles go to jail for all the time right. in this country. Like that's right. what that is, is yeah. older men looking at underage girls and then proceeding to marry them it's just fetishization you know Mm. fetishization pedophilia you know the younger the better and also because in their um, social structure they perceive the only role of women um, to be childbearing and in the home which is something that they directly come out and say I, i actually posted a clip the other day with a I don't know who it was, one of these mullahs that were like the best place for a woman is in the house. And so, you know, the way that they see it, they start them out young, breed as many kids as they can. And that's their entire role as a woman, as a girl. It's like children having children is what that is. It's literally children having children. And actually, funnily enough, they don't have abortion rights in Iran either. So that should... uh, that's, you know like the, have- that's, the, that's the least shocking thing on this list, which is crazy to me because we're all but, up in arms yeah. about our abortion rights being taken away. And that's the least shocking thing to me on here. Right. But you know, when you, you know, when you have uh, an opinion about something and then you find out somebody really, really horrible also shares that opinion, like you, you have an opinion, then you find out Trump also has that opinion and you're like, okay, wait, just kidding. I don't really think that <laughs> it makes me think, it makes me think of people here who are anti-abortion, like, when they find out that the Islamic Republic of Iran, the regime is also anti-abortion. How do you feel that you share your that opinion with terrorists? You know? Right, right. Ooh, that is such a powerful comparison. I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay, in the first half, this is like gnarly, you guys. So, I mean, not that all of these are gnarly, but brace yourselves. In the first half of this calendar year, 16,000 girls between the age of 10 to 14 have been married. 16,000 in half of a year, girls between the ages of 10 and 14 got married. It just, it doesn't make sense to me how parents or anyone in, in a country, like any human being can think that that's okay in any capacity. You know, it's one of those things where it's, it's hard to imagine because we are looking at this through the con through the through a western construct right right in their kind of through their eastern construct i'm not talking about the women because obviously the women aren't okay with this but they have no choice but many of the men you know they view that you know through this kind of like centuries long social socially accepted paradigm that it's like well whatever a nine-year-old a kid is just their role is just to be married to a man so they don't see it that way because they don't have you know established human rights in that way or they don't have 
you know, they don't have a sense of the fact that that's not okay. That there's nothing, I mean, where would they even get that sense from? Like the education is like highly Islamatized, right? There's like, it's like religious education. There's nothing where they can kind of get, get an understanding that this is not okay, except you would think that it's just kind of like a knee jerk understanding that it's not right. okay, but they don't know just, any different. It's, it's a lot of indoctrination. It is a lot of indoctrination. Mm. And, you know, you have to think about the same way that certain things here go unquestioned because it's just certain things are just socially accepted right that's just one of those things to them you know it's just something that's socially accepted so they're just like well why should i be the person to take a stand against it yeah okay high death penalty rate including the execution of child offenders Mm -hmm. um and these these are often related to protests or freedom of expression Yes. So execution in Iran is extremely arbitrary. Um, You can look at the list of things that you can be executed for in Iran, including LGBTQ status, protesting, criticizing the regime in any way. It is often children that are executed. Nika Shakarami, which is one of the girls that was protesting here during the protests, she was one of those girls. And it's important to add the detail which is as disturbing as it is and hard to talk about that um you can't um sorry i'm getting emotional no that's okay i I understand you can't can't execute a virgin so they make sure that she's not by the time okay wait i'm sorry so it's a rule in iran that you cannot execute a virgin a virgin Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay as fucked up as that notion is so they then rape her before killing her. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to, I, I almost feel like I'm out of my body right now because it feels right. like that can't be real. Like that stuff you see in horror movies and mm-hmm. like fucked up scripts that we hear in LA, like write for, for the screen, like that it doesn't seem like that could be real and it's like just talking about it is just so unsettling so when you just think about the experience it's just it is truly unreal and it's also it's another form of punishment because their belief is that if you are a virgin and you get killed you go to heaven so the purpose is another form of punishment in order to cause that person to go to hell basically oh my god mm-hmm. and how old was she she was 16. She They buried her on her 17th birthday. And how, if you know, do you know how they do the executions, obviously, here in the United States, like when there is a, a state that allows the death penalty, it's by lethal injection? Is that is it the same over there? No. So they do death by hanging. And um, yeah, it's a... Uh, public sometimes it's public hanging um it's with a noose around the neck and uh what's even more disturbing is that even with hanging there are two methods of hanging one of them is not torturous because it instantly snaps the neck 
The other one is by strangulation, which takes up to 20 minutes. That's the method that they use because it's the cheapest method. So they like allow the person to sit, I mean, hang there for 20 minutes and have a very slow, painful death. Yep. And they sometimes do it publicly. publicly. Yeah. I mean, I, it just like, I don't understand how it's acceptable. And you just don't even understand how the world is just letting this happen. I mean, right. you have people who are currently on death row sentenced to be executed in that way. Literally the two girls just for being, you know, LGBTQ. That's it. That's their only crime. Oh my God. And, that's and what I guess waiting right now. I guess death this row. is, this is my maybe naivete in politics, but like, how can no other countries like try and step in to do something? I really don't know. I know that the UN has like condemned the death penalty of these girls, but I just feel like, I don't know. I mean, something more than condemning has to be done. You know, it just feels, it just feels like, I don't know. I mean, it's barbaric and I, I, I really have no answers. I have no answers as to why. Right, because otherwise someone would listen. be doing it. Yeah. Right. Like, none of us can figure it out. This is what we all are protesting about here every day. Right. We're like, why is nobody doing anything? Right. But it's not like, you know, here where when Black Lives Matter was happening, we all just, like, went out to the streets and started screaming and, like, protesting yeah. and being active. Like, people, women can't do that in Iran, correct? Like, that's right. what people are in jail and on death row for. Right, exactly. It's a crime punishable by death. And also it's when these girls are killed, it's also a crime to even go out there and report it. I mean, Twitter's illegal in Iran and you have these families that are going out and telling the world and then they're facing the same consequences after their children are killed. So there's also like an eerie silence that comes out of Mm. Iran because they can't even share their stories. So because they can't share their stories, you know, the rest of the world's doesn't even know that it's going on to be involved with it right and that's just like basic freedom of speech that's not oh they don't have any freedom of speech yeah absolutely not Uh, um so this one this is the last one and then we'll get into some of the uh the different people that you've done your videos about which have been so powerful a woman's testimony counts as a half a person in court yeah, I was sitting the, when when all of the the stuff started erupting on the internet. I was sitting in a car with my fiance, and his father is from Iran. He came over when he mm-hmm. was eighteen, and we were reading an article, and this fact was in that article, and his mouth like dropped open, as did mine, and it was like, a, how is that possible? B, the fact that you can, I mean, literally, that's saying like you matter and you matter as half of this person because Mm -hmm. he has a penis. Like Mm -hmm. what? It literally just, I mean, it makes no sense. You know, (laughs) women are not considered to be truth tellers or they don't have any value in, you know, their perception of an event. You know, women are not considered to be logical enough to interpret an event that they witness. So it's like, you know, if, if one man testifies, you need two women to counteract that testimony because then if two women saw something with their crazy lady brains, then maybe, you know, something might have actually happened. Right. But- and like for perspective, like, you know, women in this country that experience sexual assault and 
abuse, like they're terrified to go testify because they don't think they'll be believed. So imagine like put yourself in the shoes of being an Iranian woman and having to go in and knowing you only count as half a person. So like, why Mm -hmm. even bother? No one's going to believe you. Even if someone does believe you, then you've like publicly spoken out and will probably get in trouble or killed on the other end of that. I don't think a woman would ever bother to report any form of sexual assault. I don't think there would even be consequences for the man. It would just be pointless. It would be pointless. I mean, we're really just talking about, when we're talking about witness testimony, we're really just talking about percipient witnesses, like a witness who viewed like an accident or something. A woman actually going to, I mean, I don't think she'd even get a trial, you know, it it would be pointless. Yeah. Oh my God. It like Mm. makes my, my skin feel uneasy. That's the best way I can, I can articulate it. So we talked a little bit about the girl. Can you tell me her name again? Who the 16 year old Nika? Yeah. Cause I think it's so important to like get people to hear their names and like start talking about them and sharing their stories, especially because their family members clearly can't. So what you've done a lot of other videos on your social media pages about other individuals that are on death row in mm-hmm. uh, Iran. Can you share a few of those stories? Yes. Yeah, so um, there are these two girls right now, Elham Chubdar and Zahra um, Hamidani, Sedaki Hamidani. And um, they are on death row right now um, for being LGBTQ persons. I can't give the exact designation because I don't know what it is. And Zahra was somebody who attempted to escape at the border to Turkey and they caught her and they, you know, brought her to justice. And Elham and both of them, you know, they have trials which are completely unfair trials. You don't have a defense attorney. You have a person who acts as both prosecutor and judge. And you have actually the president of Iran right now was formerly a judge who was called the hanging judge. He was known as the hanging judge because he's sentenced so many people to death by hanging, including my family. So now these two girls are on death row and we've been trying to, you know, orchestrate this campaign online to try and get them off of death row. I mean, there's literally, this is like as much as we can think of to, you know, try and get some awareness for this, to try and bring it to, you know, the Iranian government, to bring it to their attention, to try and get these girls off death row. But the problem is they just, they just don't care. You know, to them, it's just such a sin that their lives don't mean anything. Their lives are worth nothing. Yeah, they're expendable to just be made examples of. And I... If you're comfortable talking about it, you just mentioned the the hanging judge like he did to your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. I mean, my the number on my mom's side of executions, uh, 13 of my family members just on my mom's side. Yeah. So my oh mom. My yeah, I know. My mom and my aunt were in prison before they left just for nothing, like nothing. They found some papers in a car. That's like some papers that were against the regime. And my uncle, all three of them got arrested. Um, My aunt was 18 at the time. She was pregnant with my cousin. And they found my uncle's driver's license in the glove compartment. So they let my mom and my aunt go and they tortured and executed my 
uncle, my aunt's husband. So my cousin never met her dad. Um, yeah. And how did you and your mom, you know, escape and end up coming to be here? So my mom, I wasn't born at this time. This is my older cousin. She's a couple of years older than me. My mom then she got really sick after that. Everything was just very traumatic. The prison conditions were really bad. My family were obviously extremely distressed. So she needed to seek specialist treatment. So she got like one of those visas where, you know, I don't really know how it works, but there's only one place that can treat you because your condition is so bad or unique. So she was able to go to the UK that way so she could be treated. And then I guess she met my dad who was there and he had become an asylee. So he obtained British citizenship and they married. And then I was born there in the UK. Oh my God. It's like by the luck of the draw that she got. And I think, yeah, I think that's what's so kind of harrowing for the diaspora during this whole experience, because we know that the reason we're not being shot in the streets right now is literally just because of luck of the draw. It could have been and should have been us too. And so it's very heavy knowing that it's just sheer luck is the reason that we're alive, you know? Yeah. I I don't know if I've ever been so like emotionally affected and really just speechless um, doing one of these interviews. It like, again, doesn't feel real that that is okay for any person to have to endure on this planet much less like in today's time like it's happening right now and that's what's just so just like emotionally like heavy and overwhelming and it's why you know so many of us you know whenever i call people other iranian people a part of this movement and stuff it's just like everyone's so down everyone is just hurting so much because of like it's just it's 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 just it's heartbreaking It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's really horrible. It's just, it's unbearable. It's not even bearable. Yeah. So what are some of the things like for my listeners that are listening to this, um, Mm -hmm. because I'm sure everyone is just as affected by hearing this shocking stuff as I am. What are some things that people can do and like take action with to help what's going on there? Well, I think first and foremost, just talking about it, sharing things that you see, sharing stories. I spoke to a friend of mine the other day and she was like, I didn't even realize. She was like, thank you for explaining to me because she was like, you know, I only have like 200 Instagram followers or something. And I thought, what's the point of me sharing it? Mm. But after you explained that, like when people interact, it boosts the algorithm. That actually makes a difference because the the content gains more traction, even if somebody, you know, doesn't even see what you share. It actually makes a difference. So sharing stuff, interacting with that, with the content on Iran that you find, it keeps it kind of keeps the visibility. And then the other thing is that, you know, right now we have this campaign to get these girls off of death row, which, it, you know, you can see that on my Instagram, on my TikTok. We're just, you know, engaging right now to get as many people aware of what's going on as possible. I have some other things that I am uh, working on. I am currently speaking with an organization about creating a t-shirt that people can buy 
where the mm. proceeds goes to organizations that are helping Iran. There is um, United for Iran that you can donate to. Unfortunately, you can't actually give money to anybody in Iran because the government has blocked that off as well as having blocked off the internet. And something which I'm actually going to probably share today or tomorrow, the judge right now, the person that's responsible for these girls that are, are on death row, he has an email address. I'm going to set up a template oh, uh, yeah. for people... Yeah. So to get people to just send out like mass emails to this person to urge him to get these girls and all of these protesters, these kids off of death row. I mean, I just saw today, yesterday, the average age of arrest for protesters right now is 15, <laughs> 15 year olds. Is Which the is an executable offence. Yep. And, you know, just high school girls, you know, taking off their hijabs. So I want to get this template going to send to this judge to urge him to get these girls off of death row and ugh, all of them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is going to air in a couple of weeks. So hopefully okay. by then everything. Is it best for people to go to the link in your bio on Instagram? Yes. Yes. So either my TikTok or my Instagram will have that link, I guess, by the time it's aired, because I will have done it by then. And what it, can you drop your Instagram and TikTok handle? Yes. So my Instagram is Elica Lebon, which is E-L-I-C-A-L-E-B-O-N. And my TikTok is Elica Lebon, but there's a period. So Elica period Lebon. I like saying thank you for coming on seems so insignificant at this point, but... I'm just so sorry that all of this is going on. Thank you for agreeing to come on so that we can get the stories out more and urge people to at least sign petitions and do what they can, which seems so minimal and it like angers me that it's so minimal. But thank you for for being able to come on and and dive into all of these not great topics with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, you know, giving our voices and our stories a chance to be heard. This is this is the most that we can do. And, you know, as much as it feels like it's nothing, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's it is something. So I really appreciate you giving us the opportunity for our stories to be heard. Oh, my God, it's literally the least I can do. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. Whew. I mean, there's just no fucking words. Um, it, it's so shocking to me that in our world today, this is happening and no one is doing anything about it. I will have Elika's information linked in the show notes of this episode. Please go follow her on social media so you can continue to stay informed. Whenever you see a video come up on your For You page or on your Instagram scrolls that has anything to do with supporting what is going on in Iran and women's rights, please watch it. Please like it. Please save it. Please send it to someone. Help by engaging and sharing the content so more people can understand how not okay this is. We have to use our voices. We have to use our platforms. We have to speak up. Um, if you want to reach out to me so I can send you specific content to share, I'm happy to do that. It is really time that some type of justice is brought to these women 
because no one should be living in fear on their day-to-day life with no rights. Thank you for listening to this episode. It is probably one of the most important ones we have done on this show. I really appreciate having this platform and this audience of people who trust me so much to bring stuff like this to light and spread the word and get these women's voices and stories told. As always, make sure you are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. As always, have a self-love cocktail on me. I will see you all next week. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.